We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. Bit of a tight schedule we're working with right now, but Out Now is a film podcast where Amy and I don't normally discuss movies weekly. However, every now and then, we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something completely different, but very regular for January. Uh, we are going to do a Sundance Film Festival recap, something we've done uh, many years in a row at this point. Always very fun, since we have a lot of friends of the show who get to get the opportunity to go to the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, we're happy to kind of bring them in so we can hear their take on the the year's slate of films, um, you know, possibly coming to theaters or streaming services near you. And then I was able to see a handful of films via the online uh, version of the festival in the past few years so i'll uh, contribute my thoughts as well so joining me to discuss the sundance film festival of 2024 we have from firstshowing.net keeping it cool perhaps it's alex billington hey guys this is david Bax from battleship pretension <laughs> Happy to join you to... i'm kidding i actually uh, uh, hey hey Aaron. i actually had a really nice chat with david i saw him at the festival we were sitting at the same table we were chatting about everything he was he was being grumpy about twitter as usual but it was nice to see him so Yes, I'm glad to be here post Sundance again to talk with you. As I, as I could probably say this on every time we record this podcast, it's always nice to do a debrief with you, Aaron, and it's always nice to kind of recap what has happened. So, well, thank you, here. and I, for one thing, I do appreciate the David Max update. That's a big, that's a very vital segment <laughs> of this show. <laughs> it, was, it was a, it was a great surprise to see him. I, normally, you only know him from voice, like he's one of these radio personalities that you're like, does he exist in the real world? But he does. <laughs> I saw him. I could have poked him, but I didn't. Well, my my favorite thing, which I believe I told you both multiple times, is is that we were all at Comic Con and we were literally all in the same bar during one year at Comic Con, and but like apparently you guys did not interact. But then it's on Twitter later on. One of you said to the other, like, "Oh man, I can't believe I missed you at Comic Con, but hopefully I see you next time." <laughs> and I responded oh, wow. to both of you. You guys were literally in the same bar with each other. <laughs> That happen. I feel that happens to Sundance a lot. Like I'll be like, oh, I really want to see this person. And then I'll see that they just saw the same film as me, but completely miss them in the auditorium. And like, I, I don't know, it happens all the time with tons of people. I just completely, they were there. They were probably sitting next to me and I just had no idea. At least that's a whole damn town and like yeah. multiple rooms or whatnot. This is like the one bar where a bunch of like <laughs> film critics were probably <laughs> at some point in 2013 or whatever. True, true. But so this is why I make an effort now if I'm like going to meet someone. I'm like, where exactly are you in the <laughs> cinema or where are you? And I will find you because otherwise... We will miss each other. Yeah, see, when you make a podcast that lasts for over a decade, it's very easy to pinpoint where someone's going to be because you schedule it in advance. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. Um, well, Alice, it is good to have you here. And I, I do appreciate you being on. I know it's a busy time uh, during all of this, but I, I do uh, think it's worthwhile to get a kind of a rundown of yeah. how things went at the Sundance Film Festival, one of our premier film festivals in America. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we should just kind of get right to it, kind of get to uh, what the experience, we'll get to the movies. I want to get your your thoughts, though, on on what the experience this year at San, Sundance was like. Now, before Alex will get to that, I uh, I made a theme song for you because you're going to be on the show, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that right now. Here, here we go. Billington is a peculiar guy. He loves seeing movies even when the price is high, but do not get on his bad side as he'll call you out and try to make you cry bills 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 he can be happy as a clam bill bills bills he has a pretty cool instagram bill bills bills when the system is wrong bills 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 gotta make your day seem long 
This is amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I'm I don't know if you can hear me clapping, but I'm clapping now. This is extraordinary. And I, and you know what? Remarkably accurate because I'm about to drop some criticism that's gonna make someone's days long. <laughs> I had a feeling though there were gonna be criticisms, which is what inspired the lyrics to that song. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's uh, the weird thing is I want to I want to rant, but I'm also like I don't know who's gonna listen to this. I feel like I'm ranting into the void. I'm gonna and, send this right to Bobby Reds. Yeah, and I don't think Bobby Reds is gonna pick up and <laughs> listen. And be like, wow, I listen to Aaron's podcast. That looks nice. Well, because I'm the only one that calls it Bobby Reds, he's sure to pick it up now. <laughs> no, he's we talked about this last year too. It probably his good friends call him Bobby Reds too. Yeah. Um, someone shouted out because they play this video before the film, and he always pops up and is like, oh, I started Sundays. And someone shouted out yesterday at a screen. They were like, Bob! And I was like, jeez. So I was like, Boo? No, Bob. They were like, Oh, hey, Bob. Bob. Okay. <laughs> That's what booed it. No, uh, no. There's like, Boo words. Um, no, it's, it's, uh, so the, the, the festival is it, uh, the, the, I'll do this quick and short so that we don't lose listeners. So, hey, listeners, I'll be really quick and be in, in, in my annoying rant here. Is it the festival's at a weird crossroads, like many companies in the world right now, where they're, struggling but they don't admit they're struggling so there's this weird cover-up of uh the sense that most of us felt is that they're out of money and i've heard that many festivals in the world right now are out of money as in they don't have as much money as they used to have to run things they lost sponsors they're just not making money and the reason this plays into things is because for example ticket prices were more expensive and um press tickets were more limited there were a lot of changes and also that explains things well, because, uh, yeah, and, and that you, like, you should be able to go see more films, but a lot of people said they were having trouble getting in. Uh, uh, there was a friend of mine who had a ticket package that he spent $800 on, and he tried to book his tickets and could only get two of them. And, you know, there's just, like, strange issues with how it's run as a festival. I think it's run terribly. Um, I think it's kind of just holding on to this thread of the way they've existed for years, which is kind of like they just do it. And, and the funny thing is I don't think people who go would notice this because – if you go, all you really care about is that you get into the cinema and you watch a movie and it's projected well and like there's a person there for the Q&A and you have a good time, you know, and you get to see that. That's really the ultimate goal for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that's what the festival does well is, yes, the projection is great. The sound is great. Uh, the films are great. Like it's a good experience to watch it happen. But in terms of the actual management and queuing and all these kind of other details that they don't want to talk about, they are a huge mess. And it was kind of miserable to deal with this year. Um, especially Park City, the city, it gets worse every year. I, I probably say this every time we do a podcast here, but I'm like, oh, Park City, I can't stand being there anymore. It's like more expensive. They have less bus routes. There were like two buses running on the main theater route. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just, it's also like overrun by Los Angeles people, which always bothers me. Like, cause you know me, I'm as far from Los Angeles because it can be. So when I'm forced to be in the same town with all these like, people who wear all, all black and are on the phone talking with their manager all the time. I'm like, Oh, goodness, really? <laughs> oh, here I am back in Park here, City. Here you are dressed like Michael Fassbender in the killer. And all these guys are like, Oh, they're really ruining my vibe. Yeah, I am. And I'm also like, <laughs> you know, against the grain of how they want to be like, I'm, I'm speaking honestly about things and, and, you know, having conversations on the side where they're all like, Oh, we just love cinema. It's, but it, but at the end of the day, it, it's still, I, as your beautiful jingle uh, reiterated, I spent my money to come here and I fly all the way to America because it really is all about the films and the friends and the experience of having that film friend, uh, what do you call it, smorgasbord at the same time. 
Um, and, you know, like every film I'm hanging with people and chatting with them and then you get to watch a great film and it's really wonderful. And then you go home and, you know, like either argue about it or rave about it. Like my, my condo mate, um, another Aaron, by the way, mm. uh, we would, yeah, we would get home every day and it was either like, oh man, he hated that one that I loved or we both love something and we'd have little chats about it. And it's, it's, it's just a great time in terms of the the excitement of being in one place together with all these film nerds geeking out over new films so that's my quick report well that's good i, I was curious if there was like a substantial because obviously covid had an impact and i was curious if anything yeah, yeah. has really changed significantly that's feels like it stems from that sounds like it has it sounds like things have just gotten back to normal with normal being a, a declining scale yeah, <laughs> to some degree yeah. And, and, you know, there's always, like, the person who comes in and is like, why is not everyone wearing masks? But, of course, we're back to this point where it's like, it's not even mentioned. They don't mention masks. They don't think about the pandemic anymore. They just let the screenings run. Um, I have ideas of how they could fix it on a bigger scale, but I won't bring them up now. But there's, there's like, things they can do, which is... My other problem with the festival is that they keep leaning more and more towards the wealthy people, mm -hmm. uh, which is obvious because they're running out of money, so they need the support. But you're like, it's funny, in the beginning of every film this year, there was this, it's the 40th Sundance, um, and they had this slideshow that would run before every film, and it would show these pictures from like 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they would be, it would be these great photos of like people sitting on the floor, like, you know, when it was run at one hotel, and it was this little podunk thing that, that Bobby Reds would put together, and you're like, cool, but you're like, why why have they thrown off that whole attitude of like we're the little indie guy and now they're like hey the most important people at the festival are people with money you know if you can drop five thousand dollars on a badge you get everything you want and you get full vip access but everyone mm -hmm. else no 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 you gotta wait in the snow for two hours and freeze your ass off well i <laughs> i hope that the manifesto that you're writing that you ship to sundance and label it definitely not a bomb i hope that goes well and they fix the uh they fix the problems. I, I do want to write an article that's basically like Sundance needs to evolve. And, you know, of all festivals that could and should, even based on the indie spirit of cinema, Sundance is one that needs to evolve as a festival. But you can read that on FirstRoad.net one day in the future. All right. Well, I, I mean, I, I am, you know, not having firsthand experience. I, I can just only go by what I'm hearing. And I mean, it's certainly not new as far as the kinds of things that you were saying and others have expressed. So I can only hope that, you know, things turn around to some degree. But with all that out of the way, let's get to the movies. Yes, yes. So how many movies? Is there, is there a movie for the jingle? Is there a jingle for the movies? I wish, but Aaron, I... Aaron, 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 he has lots of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if Abe inserts something. For that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how many movies would you say you saw at Sundance this year? Uh, I'm at like 50. Jesus. All right. <laughs> How many, days? Like, How many days is it's this? Like 30 movies in person and then 20 online viewings is my count. All right. That's pretty substantial. Yeah. I saw 16 and a half is where I'm at. Oh, boy. What's the half? Who's the half? The half, the half is Kidnapping Inc., which I started and didn't finish. Um, and not because I wasn't liking it, but just because I got caught up in something else. I had to stop it, uh, which is annoying because I was quite enjoying it, actually. Okay. And I, I see that I'm. Based on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not a, a firm score for Sundance movies, but I seem to be in the minority on enjoying it. So I, I hope to yeah. finish it someday so I can <laughs> ideally continue liking it and then give it a fresh rating to pump it up because it's a it's this Haitian. Did you see it? Kidnappers? I did. Kid I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's this like Haitian crime comedy that feels very influenced by things like Pulp Fiction, City of God, Good Time, uh, among others. And. 
I was like what I said, you know, the hour that I saw of it, I was enjoying. And what I think if I had to wager on why it's getting like negative uh, reviews by some is because it's not American. And I say that meaning there are there are things that feel like taboo that probably apply specifically to American sensibilities that I just don't think apply to Haiti. Uh, There is some animal cruelty that is played for laughs uh, to a degree. Uh, There is just aspects of it that are that that are cruel but i feel like there's a there's a window that they're trying to operate in that feels very probably very specific to what they find humorous or impactful in the necessary sort of ways now again i've only seen half of this movie maybe it takes a giant turn and i'm just not aware of it or something but i i did i was enjoying what i said do you did you like this movie or do you, am i just completely out of my depth no, as an American, I did. No, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I didn't like it just because I felt a little cheap. And um, it's not that it wasn't trying to. It's, it's I felt like it's trying to be like bad boys for, for Haiti. Like they they were really going for this kind of cool action vibe with like bright cinematography. And I was digging that. I just got a little bit bored by the editing, especially the interesting thing for you is you need to see where it's all leading. Uh-huh. It's like this kidnap story that has a big point at the end i have a idea i can wager it's doing something yeah the point at the end is also kind of like i was speaking to someone else who had seen it and hated it he was like that's just it's so annoying where they're trying to go with this when they should have just stuck to the bad boys formula and just done some crazy stuff and didn't care about some political point they're making that's the thing like it it, i don't want to get too hung up on this movie especially because i haven't seen the whole thing but like (laughs) i've seen you know there's a main two there's a duo that we largely follow throughout this thing but there are like multiple subplots not unlike various kind of ensemble cast crime movies or whatnot but this one does seem to have like that's the main focus and the other things are deliberate are very much subplots but mm-hmm. clearly there's like an overall message going on that's addressing certain ideals or what have you and like again i don't know exactly where it's going but i have an idea and i can see why yeah at the end of all this what's it really for i could see that being probably a thought that occurs <laughs> in watching this movie yeah, one of the conversations I had with someone at the festival it applies to this as well. Maybe it was David Bax, I'm not sure. Is that he said um, that there were a lot of films that try to do too much, and so many Sundance films do this. Like they're, they they try to pack in this message, that message, this subplot, this subplot, this thing, this thing, and putting all that into one movie just doesn't work. And that's kind of what this one felt too. You're like, what are they trying to do? There's too much going on. So it, I say that as a preface because there's a couple other films that I didn't like here, or, or even some I did like that try to bite off more than they can chew and push it into one film. And I think it's, I also think it's, uh, some filmmakers are trying to have a political agenda in their film with this kind of like um, art means something and we have to make a point through our art message. But sometimes you don't need to make a point. As with Suns- uh, with uh, Sasquatch Sunset, they don't need to make any dim point in this. Although there is a point to it, I would say. And I, I think just to wrap this thing up, I, I think the the leeway I give to a movie like Kidnapping Inkings because it's specifically a Haitian movie, a country that does not produce many kind of glossy movies like this compared to various American films or, you know, newer filmmakers from areas where they have a level of privilege where they can afford to make certain mistakes or whatnot, or I don't feel as, I I, I don't feel as much worry about whether or not they're able to get their message across because their lives are probably fairly comfortable where this is like, "Eh, I don't know when this filmmaker is going to get another chance to make a big flashy movie like this. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Perhaps. I mean, again, it's leeway in this movie I haven't finished. Again, maybe I'll just uh, easily turn on it. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, fuck this movie. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Well, that's that's an inauspicious way to start things. Let's get to um, 
let's get to some of like the the high. Let's let's start off with sort of like the highlights of the festival. Now, sure. I was able to see a real pain, which was like one of the bigger purchases yeah, yeah, yeah. from the festival. That's Jesse Eisenberg's directed film starring him and Karen Culkin. I know there's a few others that were high profile that I couldn't see just because they were not available online. Um, so uh, I want to start with real pain just because we can both talk about that. I want to hear from you about some of the other like notable ones that I, I have not had a chance to, to look at. But sure, sure. what do you think of a real pain? I'm with you. I also loved it. Um, I also think it's very it, I, I didn't like Eisenberg's first uh, film that he directed. Me neither. I thought it um, sucked. <laughs> which every time I brought this up at Sundance, everyone was like, what was the name of it? Like no one could remember the name it, of it. I can't right now as I'm thinking about it. It's like what it, something, something, something. It's something at the end of the world, I think. <laughs> yeah. About anyway, with like Finn Wolfhard or I don't know. Yeah. Whoever, you know what I mean? Um, so I wasn't looking forward to this going in and I was very deeply moved by it. I was very much affected by it. Um, it's interesting because uh, my parents also watched the, the because I'm staying with here in Salt Lake City, so I referenced them. They watched it yesterday and they had the same feeling I did, which is that um, Kieran Culkin's character is such an annoying guy and he's annoying in succession as well. But here there is a meaning to his annoyance and there's a duality to it with his like who he is and what he's going through and his struggles. And so as much as I'm like, oh, goodness, we have to watch an annoying Kieran Culkin film. The, it's great. It's He's such a he, his performance is so, so uh, well honed in balancing the annoyance, but also these really sweet and meaningful parts of him that come out throughout the film. And all of that with Eisenberg as the co-star, like really hit me hard. There's a couple of scenes. There's this great monologue at the dinner table with the, the tour guide on. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. And, and, and I, it's it's the one I've been recommending to everyone. I was really big fan of it, and I I'm glad it got picked up. I'm glad people are seeing it, and I'm glad everyone else is enjoying it too. His first one was When You Finish Saving the World. That's yeah, the, yeah, that yeah, movie, yeah. which uh, not great. Um, and apparently, according to IMDb, he also directed one of the featurettes on the Cursed uh, film. Oh. <laughs> so just just a picture. We all have that context. Uh, but yeah, no, I also I, I really enjoyed A Real Pain. Uh, just a quick summary: like it's about two brother, two two cousins. Uh, two Jewish cousins from New York uh, that go on a trip to Poland to see their uh, grandmother's house um, for various reasons. Uh, and yeah, no, I think it's a enjoy. It's the first of a couple like Jewish movies where I'm like, well, I'm into this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. You're Jewish too. Right? Yeah, I feel like last year I got a lot of like black films that I really enjoyed. This year I'm like, I got two Jewish films I really enjoyed. So it's like, oh, I'm really making the rounds. Uh, okay, so our... then, so then, did you see Between the Temples? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, okay, we'll, okay. we'll get to it. Okay, uh, okay, okay. But I but I I had a lot of fun seeing specific very explicitly Jewish things happening in both movies. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, I agree with you as far as Karen Culkin's concerned. I think he is very good in this in a way where it harnesses the kind of manic annoying energy that he can very much bring to a role and turns it into a force for good. <laughs> as far as like how to make a movie work. Um I I didn't know what this was going to be. Go- like, I didn't know what any of these movies were going to be going in. Yeah, so, exactly. like, watching this, I was thinking, oh, so, like, Eisenberg's going to be the neurotic one the whole time, and Kira Culkin's just be, like, the cool guy. like, no, actually, <laughs> Culkin's the one that's, like, a, literally a real pain, and Eisenberg's just putting up with so much. But it's consistently quite funny. It has its emotional depth. Like, it, it's doing the job. And even the way it wraps up, it's messier than I would have expected. Yeah. Um, so, I, no, I, I think it's... One like a real turnaround for Eisenberg as far as yes, I enjoyed this one much more than the the previous film that you did. Uh, but yeah, just enjoy an enjoyable one all around. Easy, easily one where you can be like anyone could pretty much watch this. It's right, it's R, it, it will be R when it gets rated for like language, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Like it's a pretty accessible movie. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, and good supporting cast, too. I think the, the various people on the tour and whatnot, and uh, Will Sharp is the tour guide. Uh, I think we're all yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty effective. Will Sharp, who I did not know was British until now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I watched all of White Lotus, and I was like, oh, he's he's, he's solid. And I did not realize the entire time that he's actually British, man. So, <laughs> you have, fooled me again, been... Brits. Indeed. I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I don't want to discuss them until people have seen it. Um, but I will say... Uh, I, when when Will Sharp shows up as the tour guide, I'm like, oh, he's not Polish. Like yeah. I don't have a Polish tour guide, and then uh-huh. I'm like, oh, he's but he's great. He has this, uh, especially because his character is importantly mm-hmm. well written for the role. But like his, he handles the the performance so well, and is one of my favorite characters in it. Um, and and the, the the question of how many poles do they actually encounter is one of my criticisms. But that's for another day when people have seen it. Fair enough. Um. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to some of the like I said some of the other like high profile films that you were able to see. Um, I would mention. Uh, I don't know if you saw this either. Didi, this. Um, I did see Didi. Coming of age film from uh, this filmmaker Sean Wang 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 Wang. I don't know how to pronounce correctly. Um, he is uh on the rise this year. I think he's going to win the Academy Award for his short in a, in a month or two. Um, Didi, I loved, absolutely loved. I thought it was, as someone actually, I wrote wrote my review saying there is a great rich history of coming of age films and romantic comedies at Sundance between 500 Days of Summer, Boyhood, um, you know, even Spectacular Now, even Clerks, you could say. And this one feels like the, another one of these kind of instant classic, uh, to me at least, sort of fantastically well-made, fresh representative of the filmmaker um, and what he's trying to say. And yes, it's like, a bit typical in that you follow this 13 year old uh, Asian American kid in Fremont, California, as he's trying to go through high school and deal with his typical nerves with a woman, with a girl and all these things. But at the same time, it's so unique and presented it so nicely through his lens and through what he's trying to do as a filmmaker. I just loved every single thing about this. Um, and I saw it super late in the festival, but I'm just like so happy I came across it. Yeah, I uh, this is um, it's essentially um, eighth grade for young Asian boys, um, and it works <laughs> yeah. really well. There's not, that's a yeah. that's a a positive comparison as opposed to one that's saying it's derivative or something. It's not derivative. It's it's very much its own story. It's telling it from a very specific point of view, and I thought it was very entertaining. Um, I think both the the young boy uh, playing uh, Wang Wang slash Chris slash Didi. Uh, Isaac <laughs> Wang is very good in this. Yeah. He really captures the kind of he made he made it seem very re- relatable as far as what a what a boy of that age acts like um, and like being like inexplicably angry at family members or what have you like th- just the kind of like teenage angst uh, at a at a young point in adolescence like that. I think it really plays well. And also Joan Chen as his mom is very good too. Mm. Um, so like from an acting perspective, I think there's just really a real authentic uh, presentation going on here. And yeah, in terms of like the style, like I've seen, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of like coming of age movies or what have you, and you've seen them handled in different ways, different kinds of styles and what have you. I wouldn't say that this film is like super showy, but at the same time, there are like a lot of editing tricks and what have you that kind of show mm-hmm. a certain modernness to it that I appreciate without being like overdone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to say things that you didn't say already, because I agree. I think it's a very good movie, a very yeah. fun and engaging film as far as what it's doing and what it's, what it's after. And so, yeah, I'd say I put on the same, I put on the same level as a, a real pain as far as just like, movies i think can be enjoyed by pretty much anybody yeah exactly 
which is interesting because a lot of the arguments I've had at, at Sundance this year with different critics are that like the most standard stuff, the most hardcore critics don't like because they're like, oh, this is a movie for everyone. They want the like super intense, artsy, nerdy thing that you can only see at a festival. And then I go see those films and I'm like, man, I didn't like that at all. And they're like, this is what I, and, you know, so it's, it's an interesting mix of opinions at the festival because it's like. You and I and a lot of people, DD won the audience award, so everyone loved it. <laughs> but I, like, I'm sure there's mm -hmm. negative reviews out there about it saying this exact kind of thing. Like, oh, you know, me and I know you, we're all for experimental cinema and what have yeah, you, yeah. and there's a place for that, and there's certainly ones that certainly succeed. But I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be upset that I saw a movie that feels familiar or, you know, very mainstream just because others also feel that way when I enjoyed what I was watching. <laughs> like, yeah, I, agree, I mean, I agree. You, like name any number of classic films and they're not classics because only cer certain people appreciate that kind of a movie. It's so, like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. generally entertaining by us. Yeah, exactly. People don't like the sting because of how um, esoteric it is. <laughs> uh, okay. What else? What, uh, what's another uh, big one? Um, it's what's inside. Did you see this? Nope, that was specifically not available on online. Oh. I think because it has a, from what I can tell, because oh, right, right, I know right. very not, I know almost nothing about it, but there's something very specific about what it does that yes. when we find out, I guess, what's inside, that <laughs> they probably don't want getting out before that movie actually gets released. <laughs> yeah, the publicist actually yelled at me about my review. They're like, "Don't mention this," and then I said, "What's the issue?" No, I won't. I won't bring it up because I, 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 I don't want to know. There. No, I think you're gonna love it. Um, I, this yeah. is one that I. I I'm I have to be uh what what's it called show off my <laughs> my moment here because I went to the midnight premiere having as you said at the start of this having no idea what I was about to see which is what I love at these festivals like it's you know uh -huh. sometimes you go to a film and the filmmaker will be like we just finished this three days ago and you're the first people to ever see it which is different than like when it was finished you know last year and they test screened it and this this is one that I'm like I don't think anyone idea what they were walking into no one knew the gimmick no one knew the setup no one knew anything about what was going to happen and I the audience went wild we like the the guy was sitting with another critic like we like lost it at the end we're like this is so awesome I just it's it to me it is the big midnight breakout from Sundance of 2024 and it is um, you know, and I hate to make so many comparisons all the time, but it's important when, especially when no one has seen these yet, it is the, uh, talk to me That's or, what I've heard. or yeah. kind of like major franchise, almost potential level, cool horror, but not really horror, more sci-fi kind of film for this year that unfortunately was bought by Netflix because if it was bought by like A24 or even Lionsgate, they could have turned it into a Saw franchise. And they could have made it into something that will last for decades. That's why that was going to be my question. Like, the, obviously, it seems like you would say it's an audience friendly movie. And that's yes. that, you know, hearing, you know, the few things I've, you know, I tried to avoid a lot, but the, the vague things I've heard about it versus the fact that Netflix bought it makes me think, well, that sucks. <laughs> like, I, I, like, now I'm going to deliberately make sure to try to see a screening of this thing because I don't want to just yeah. watch it on Netflix, but <laughs> and, it feels like it would play big for an audience. But that's uh, Netflix buys it because they see this. I I disagree with them, but I know why they buy it, which is that they see it as like that you get all your friends together and have a pizza night and watch this movie, and you with your friends get to watch this together on Netflix and have a blast with it. I mean, it's literally the movie. The, the only thing I'll say, I think that's it, how they sell it to you. I don't necessarily yeah. think that that's the majority of the watches agreed, that take agreed, place. Agreed, <laughs> agreed. But that's the concept. The, the film is literally about a party of a bunch of people getting together and hanging out. It's uh -huh. like. It's, uh, the closest reference I can make without giving away anything is it's bodies, 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 but I like that. I've heard that too. Bodies, yeah. bodies, 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 yeah. 
Okay. The funny thing is some people say that and they're like, oh, I like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies more and this isn't as good. And I'm like, no way, you're so wrong. This is this is what I wanted out of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Like, so even if you don't like Bodies, 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 don't be worried about that reference because this to me is the friends get together for a party and shit goes down movie that it nails what that should be and how awesome that could be with a gimmick, which I shall not mention at this moment. Okay, so what I'm hearing is what's inside is probably not Pete Davidson. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> he could be in the, the, the whatever he's in. And he was in a lot of things that I did not expect last year, including Fast X, so you're not it, wrong. It might not be Pete Davidson. It might be uh, uh, Lee Pace popping out as well. You never know. He will show up here. <laughs> it's a big box. Bodies, 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 <laughs> in bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> Okay, so that's what's inside, which I'm very much looking forward to. I hope that comes out yeah. soon enough. Um, what, what about the so? Did you see the Soderbergh film? I did. Did you? I not online. No. Oh, okay, I'm actually frustrated because a lot of these should have. I don't want to say should have been online, but they they. It's funny. The ones that aren't online are very much either spoiler heavy or like this snobby like A24 style. Like we won't put any of our films online because we think our films are only for theaters, kind of thing. And then it's funny because then you go around and you watch something like Didi and it like makes an impact and everyone loves it anyway. And you're like, you could have just let it play. Come on. Um, no, Soderbergh's film is great. What's it's it really called? Presence. Presence. Okay. Also spoilery, and I won't explain anything beyond. Thank that. you. Can I? May, I mean, can I? Can I even like to describe the film? I have to explain what it is, though. Can I say that or no? You don't want anything. <laughs> I don't want to know because I'm I'm such a big Soderbergh fan. Oh. I want to go with Pretty One on this one too. <laughs> okay, then it's a movie and it has people in it. It was very good. <laughs> as much as I can say. No, I was really impressed by it. And I, I I like what it's doing, and Soderbergh, being a master, knows how to handle it and make it flow and. It's it's also really you get really tense at a couple times. It's not scary. Uh, I think I think we're gonna have to keep going back to references because it's the only way to describe these without giving it away. It reminded me of a ghost story. The other okay. is favorite, mm -hmm. um, and that's as much as I'll say. Keep an eye out for it whenever whoever releases it. And this it, got it got picked up by somebody, I believe. Yeah, because I was gonna find, I was gonna say it's interesting that Soderbergh who most recently released this series completely as a web drop and not to mention everything else he makes is usually for HBO max is suddenly now has a film that won't neon neon bought it. And, yeah. And will go purely theatrical, which is like, cool, go for it. It's yeah. I, I, I have, I have not been shy in saying how much I appreciate Soderbergh in general. And over the years, I've really, I've mostly liked everything that he's been doing in the exactly, kind of yeah. Logan lucky and beyond phase. Like I loved high flying bird um the the last few he did i was i was quite the fan of like uh what's it the the noir one with sheetle and um benicio i really like too mm -hmm. um but yeah like and yeah he had this like he both had a, a series on hbo and an online thing with michael Sarah come out like at the same time <laughs> it was like this guy's not stopping like yeah, exactly right? i don't even know where this came from i thought he just did this weird web series last year and it's like nope he's got a whole film ready for something he just like, doesn't hey. stop working that guy like oh. he's <laughs> He Which shot he shot movie. Ocean's thir uh, 14 like six years ago. He's just waiting to put it out. I would not be surprised. Yeah, be, <laughs> yeah we all got it together. It was fun. Or, he, or he's got like an Indiana Jones remake in the can. You're like, what, what is he? <laughs> and he's also super secretive about this. I don't know. I love him. He, he love rebooted Spider-Man again and no one asked for it. He's like, if you guys need it, I have it. I would watch it. It'd probably be pretty good. <laughs> um, what else? I know Love Lies Bleeding. Is that, that was another big one. That's what uh, that, yeah, that area is like actually coming out from A24. But. Yeah, it's coming out soon. I didn't see it. It plays in Berlin, so I'll see it there. Ah, okay. 
I had heard about it from a friend who had seen it early and was like, eh, it's okay. So I kind of didn't make time for it. I also kind of knew being Rose Glass, her new film with Kristen Stewart, I was like, people are going to love it no matter what. Um, and only, I would be more surprised if people came out of it and everyone was like, this was terrible. But that wasn't the case. It has that, pretty good reviews. It feels like I haven't seen that in a long time as far as kind of high-profile films that become like, just utter, utterly skating in the uh, the reviews of it. Like it's mm -hmm. it's been a minute since I've seen like such like uproar over a film like that. Like the closest I think this year is like that Sasquatch movie, which seems a little divisive. I guess <laughs> I want to talk about it at some point. Yeah, we'll talk about it. What's the Sasquatch movie? Since you actually um, saw it, yeah, it's, it's literally called uh, Sasquatch Sunset, um, and it is okay. First things first, it's impressive because they commit to the bit completely. It is full on man in suit like they built suits it's not cg or anything so they built four suits for four actors one of them is jesse eisenberg of course um the other one is uh, uh i always forget her name riley um, keogh yes and then one of them is the director and one of them is uh um a small guy because he plays the kid oh sorry so not p davidson <laughs> <laughs> no or lee pace. um although it would be cool to see lee pace in a no anyway they're both so, tall yeah <laughs> um well, the the main the the main guy, the director, he plays the tallest of Sasquatches. So they play a Sasquatch family uh -huh. or a, gr a group of Sasquatches. And uh, when they introduce this film, if you know the Zellner brothers, they're like kooky, weird filmmakers who love to do, you know, it was the Zellner brothers movie? Somehow I missed that. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and um, and they they basically said, and this is the concept of it. They're like, when we were kids, we loved Sasquatches. And after seeing the photo or the video of them, they were like, we always wondered, what does the Sasquatch do the rest of their time? And so it is, it's like literally a nature documentary because it's full on, no dialogue. You just follow these creatures running around the forest and it's beautifully shot. You know, they went up to the somewhere in the Pacific Northwest to shoot it. And like, it's, it's all about emoting through the eyes. So like you get an Eisenberg performance, but through his heavy prosthetic Sasquatch face. And it's just it's just as absurd as you can get, but also like kind of sweet because it is a story about this like family. Like they try to survive, but they're total idiots and they make all these mistakes. And again, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh God, this sounds stupid, I don't want to see it, then please don't go see it. But if you're listening to this and you think this is gonna be awesome, then you'll probably enjoy it as much as I did. Cause I was like, this is they they went for it. They 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 there is not a single line of dialogue the whole movie. There is no, you know, like cheesy overdoing it. This is a natural, what would actual Sasquatches be like? And they make it absurd in a hilarious way where there's like um, having sex, you know, peeing, pooping, doing stupid things, running around the forest, chasing a mountain lion. Like all these ridiculous things happen in this movie. And I, I absolutely admire them for their ambition to do this and be like we're gonna do this exactly this way and not you know it actually reminds me of cocaine bear cocaine bear is like the dumb cgi bear version of this this is like an actual proper what if we had man and suit people playing sasquatches for 90 minutes and you know there weren't a lot of walkouts my screen was i, I don't want to say they're into it but people didn't walk out. So it seems like something that'd be engaging for sure. But like I and like I, you know, I'm not there, so I don't know. But it's certainly that of the films that I'm kind of talking about as far as ones that get a certain kind of reaction. That's certainly the mm -hmm. one that had the biggest like, you know, this could go either way as far as how extreme we're reacting to this kind of reaction compared exactly. to compared to everything else I've been you know reading about the past few days. Uh, yeah. 
I, I also think just if it's not your jam, you're not going to criticize it because the movie's bad. You're just going to be like, I just can't stand watching this, which is what my condo mate Aaron was like. He's like, I hated this so okay. much. <laughs> and I was like, fine, dude, fine. It's not... But he wasn't he wasn't saying like the filmmaking was bad. He just said he just couldn't stand. The, yeah, if you're not the whole, the whole concept the, of it. The yeah. deal is, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I understand. Exactly. Um, well, I have, certainly have movies I can talk about, but any other like, notably big ones that you wanted to bring yeah the, the, the one the other one that um people will shoot me if i don't bring up is i saw the tv glow oh yeah okay um yeah. i didn't that, is, that wasn't online but yeah 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 that, that was actually why i had to see it here uh jane schoenbrunn's new film um i wasn't particularly a big fan of her previous film or sorry their previous film um we're all going to the world's fair oh okay and, I, I actually did uh, like that film. i wasn't huge on it i know it has a yeah, yeah, some yeah, people yeah. give it a lot of praise. I was like, yeah, it's fine. But okay. I watched it actually last month just because I hadn't seen it and wanted to see it before the, the Sundance just to see what it was. I get it. I get what they're going for, all of this stuff. But this is... Uh, I, I wasn't as huge on I Saw the TV Glow as a lot of other critics. A lot of other critics think it's the best of the fest. I read one review that called it a masterpiece. Um, I like it a lot. I do think it's a very good film. I just don't think it's that level. <laughs> Uh, but what Jane is doing in this one is a really, someone said this and I think it's true. A24 gave them a bunch of money and was like, make the film you want to make. Let, let's do this proper, like, instead of this little tiny anything in one room, here's a bunch of money to do something. And they really go to those great lengths to pull it off and pull off some like really cool stuff. It does feel a little bit too much like Videodrome to me. It does feel like a Cronenberg. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh Uh-huh. Which is fine because it is, it's a trans Cronenberg. It's like a, what if Cronenberg were a young trans person making awesome new films and that's what it is. And it's, it's damn good in that sense. And I also, it's not like I walk around every day and saying like, oh, another one of those Cronenberg rehashes again. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not without a point too. It's like, it's not just trying to be Cronenberg for Cronenberg's sake. Mm -hmm. There is a, there is a lesson very similar to we're all going to the world's fair about uh um lgbtq identity and how that relates to your consumption of media and how that affects this person in it um with justice smith is the the lead character and i there's a lot of there's also a couple of like really awesome shots in it that i loved and it's a really good film really good film i think some people will lose their shit for it and think it's the best thing ever and some people will probably be like it's okay yeah, it stars Justice Smith, among others, who I'm a fan of. So I, uh, no, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to this one just based on the few things that I've heard about it. Everyone needs to see it for the creativity and for um, the fact that it is this kind of defining example of trans cinema at its kind of peak potential of what's possible when you let that concept come into the film beyond just making a good film. There's a lot to it. There's a really dense ideas within it. I also, the comparison I also made when I thought was it's Donnie Darko to me and that like people will be going back to this and rewatching it and, and analyzing it and deciphering it for years and years. And they will absolutely see it. I think this is why critics think it's major. It's, it's like a coded film with a lot going on. Okay. Hey, you want to feel? You I hope want to that f- has sold you. No, I mean I was already, I was already sold, so I'm good. No, okay. I, I hear you. All right, you want to feel old though? Uh, the director's cut of Donnie Darko celebrates its 20th anniversary this year. Yeah, but that's I. It's, it is an old movie, man. It is an old movie. Also, a Sundance movie. No, it is, and not not just the not just Donnie Darko. The director's cut of Donnie Darko. That's how old it is now. Oish. Um. All right. I want to move on to some things that I we both seen. Um. So uh, there's there's the other film that won uh, the big Sundance uh, award in in the summers. Did you see in the summers? 
Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I made this is when I say fifty films. I'm like I made sure to see everything important. Um, you did you see it though? I did. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to hear my opinion first or yours? Who who goes first? I can talk. I I, I like this film. I I think it. I compared to other films that I saw that as far as like audience awards are concerned, I feel like there's other ones that were stronger, but I did. I liked what it was going for where it's about these two sisters who like they spend every year. They like spend summers with their father. Uh, clearly like, they're you know, we, we, we kind of learn some of the backstory or what have you, but essentially like their father's on their own on his own. So they spend like part of the summer with him. And so we see a kind of yearly check-in and uh, we watch the, we watch the, the, the two girls when they're young uh, grow and over time there are various changes that happen with the, with with the with the children as as well as the and the father meanwhile is like he's certainly well meaning but he also is can be very extreme he can drink too much he has other opinions on the way one of his daughters is growing up things of that nature so it's like that's a that's a neat idea as far as how to frame it like compared compared to like i don't know like a boyhood where it's like we're checking in like just different parts of, like this is like a very specific like this year, this is what happened. This year, this is what happened. Like that, it's it's its own thing. I think the the coming of age aspect of it I found to be interesting. The problem, I guess, is that it it is a little limited in scope by having that structure. Um, so it's like we don't get to like it. It wants us to kind of fill in certain blanks, which is fair. But at the same time, I do feel like I'm somewhat of an arm's length away from connecting more to some of what's happening, even though you get a decent idea of it so like overall i think it's a i think it's good um and i like i think the performances are strong one of the children is, is sasha cali who was a supergirl in the flash um and so she gets a yeah. a, a bigger spotlight here um yeah alex what'd you think of uh in the song i'm, I'm kind of like you i i, I liked it, it took a while for me to figure out and understand and settle into the concept i was like oh okay they're growing up yeah 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 but I just didn't find anything to stand out about it. I thought, okay, the performances are fine. And it's maybe it's just because I'm a little bit tired of, um, uh, I said, thankfully I can say this on your show and not get in trouble. I'm just a little bit tired of like films that are just about this trauma and bad parents. Um, and maybe it's lucky because I have great parents, but I'm just like, so, like half of the films in Sundance were about parents are terrible. Well, one of your favorites is about that. We'll get into it later. But even that one, I was like, I'm just like, okay, it's, it's, it's a bit, you know, I, I and I know it's it would also be cliche and wrong for this film not to give away anything, but for the like the father in this film to suddenly be a good guy and like turn out to be a nice guy and uh-huh. a good family, which is actually uh, what Scrapper was last year. Scrapper is a great example of like bucking the trend and going against the bad father and turning this guy turns out to be a really good nice father and is nice to his daughter after coming back to her. This is kind of the opposite again. This is just like, oh, it's a little bit depressing and, and sad and annoying. And the biggest compliment I can say, which is I think what you're talking about too, is just this, I appreciated seeing them grow up over the years and seeing how they evolve and change through the summers. But like by the end, I was like, this is okay. And then I got out and at one, and I was like, really? Why Why did this win? <laughs> I don't know. I, I turned it on like, minutes after the press release came out that this oh, won wow, okay. and i didn't realize i was doing it at the time so when i finished the movie i was like oh this won okay that's something yeah. <laughs> um but yeah um not much more to add I, I i like i said i think we we're pretty similar on it so i i, I wouldn't say i'm necessarily sick of that thing just because when it's done well enough i appreciate it and uh and i get like you said like there's a 
I, I I appreciate the messiness of things like this. When it, that just there's a realness to that for a movie like this that's obviously trying to be grounded in some way that makes a lot of sense for me as opposed to uh, giant winds of change overcoming characters in kind of non fantastical movies. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, how about go back and forth? So how about you name one now? Um, uh, I mean, another positive one, or should I mention what I didn't like? <laughs> well, I want to start with the positive for now. Oh no! Come on! No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, the, I, we should mention some documentaries because I haven't really spoken. Yeah, to I got a couple. Them. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like the Devo documentary. Um, but the one that I, I, which is it's it's just a great retelling of the Devo story that I I'm looking forward to that. I like Devo, yeah. so yeah. Um, and it, and it's, it doesn't do anything new or any whatever, but it's just like it was so cool to learn that they were came from Kent State and they were kind of radicalized by what happened to them because they saw the Kent State shootings themselves. Mm-hmm. And that was what started their de-evolution concepts, which is what led to Devo. And I was like, I had no idea. And that's awesome. And they're like super hardcore radicals and they explain their music and everything. Super cool. But the one documentary that uh, blew me away and blew a lot of people away was the the Christopher Reeve one. It's called Super Slash Man, the Christopher Reeve story. Um, and of course, going into it, I thought, hey, this is going to be another Christopher Reeve story. Everyone in the world knows what happened to him, much like Michael J. Fox. And still, it's very similar to that film from last year. Um, we're kind of like we're going into it knowing it's a film about a guy who who has something happen to him and has to deal with his disability. But how is it going to present that story? And it's just so beautiful. Uh, everyone was crying their eyes out at 9 a.m. when I saw it. Um, I know uh, Scott Menzel uh, of the HCA and, and just a good friend of mine. He he called it like an instant masterpiece, one of the best documentaries of all time. Um, I won't go that far, but I do think it has that kind of power. I actually like it even more than the Michael J. Fox movie in the, the editing, the way it handles the story with his family, the way you, um, one of the things I love about it, and this isn't a spoiler unless you've never heard of Christopher Reeve in your life, is that it basically starts out with his accident. Mm. Within, within 15 minutes, it's like, here's what happens. Here's the accident. Now we're going to tell the rest of the story through the lens of him having this accident to happen to him where he ends up um uh, completely paralyzed from the neck down and has no ability to move or anything. And there's a lot of, uh, there's actually a really interesting subplot. It brings up about the question of he's trying to heal himself and get back to some movement while there are other people out there who have no ability to and find that attitude frustrating. There was a little bit of time after this happened to him where there was like pushback from the disabled community where they were like, why are you doing these things? Why are you doing these things? And instead of rejecting that, they actually, his his uh, wife at the time actually took that feedback to heart and she implemented a second part of his Christopher Reeve Foundation, which was like this care of life thing. And it was instead of trying to figure out a cure, they just wanted to provide better lives for disabled people. Mm-hmm. So all of that is a part of this beautiful story. And um, it's just so, I don't know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, I know, I, I think it's a cliche, but also as we've talked about before, crowd-pleasing concepts to be like, to remind you through filmmaking and storytelling that you need to love people and you need to love your family and you need to love life. You need to live it anyway. That's almost like every film says this, but this does it in such a way that you can't help but cry and also feel rejuvenated by the end of listening to Christopher Reeve and his story. And, and I, and the other funny thing about it is that the Superman stuff isn't even a major part of it. There's like a couple of little segments. Honestly. Yeah, there, well, there's a couple little segments. You know, obviously it's important to his career, the first one. And there is some funny parts where he's like uh, Superman 3 and 4. He's like, he hated it and he was so tired of working on them. But um, it it doesn't play as big of a role as I thought it would 
which is fine because it isn't it's more about his family life and his personal life and how he deals with uh his own intimate struggles of being that disabled at that point for the rest of his life and in the and also the dichotomy of being I, I thought it really handles this idea well uh, of being the superman the strongest man in the world this this buff guy that everyone looks up to then suddenly being a completely incapable of moving person and how much that hurts his mental psyche but also how he has to still go out in the world and prove that he's a strong person even if he doesn't have muscles i thought that they they really handled that well yeah well, i'm looking forward to seeing that one for sure it's wild that it took up to 2024 to like get a doc like this honestly yeah, but there's so many biopic docs like this coming out. I uh, Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. <laughs> you know, like literally every year, there's probably 50 to 100 of these where they're like, here's this person. Here's this person. Here's this. And I wonder the same thing every time that you just said. I'm like, why did it take 30 years for us to see this film if this person is so interesting? But I think it's kind of a doc trend. Well, there's uh, like there's because there's like, I don't know if it's the same director, but it's like the one that was like Chris Farley. And then it's... um. Uh, what is it like? There's like I think Swayze or Heath Ledger, where they're like, there's oh, nothing. Right, there's right, no, right, right, It's right, like yeah, I believe it's like at least like the same production company where there's yeah, not there's nothing right. added beyond just like, isn't it sad for like you know ninety minutes with just like stories or what <laughs> yeah, have you? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's sad. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> like I can get that being a comfort to some people, but it's just like it's not interesting in the same way that this sounds or like still honestly was where that was one yeah. where I watched it and I was like. I didn't know what to expect that was going to be new. And that movie doesn't necessarily give you anything new as far as the information you're learning. But in terms of how you're experiencing what Michael J. Fox is doing now with his life and how he's been, that felt that felt refreshing as far as how to do that. And that's what this sounds exactly. like. It sounds like it's a refreshing way to present this kind of information to you. Yep, exactly. Um, I want to talk about a doc called Daughters. Did you see Daughters? I did, but you go first. <laughs> I really like this one. It's one of my favorites of the, of the fest. Um, it's about uh, these... Uh, men in jail who all have families, of course, and outside of it, they have their their daughters who come up with the idea, like they they want to have like a, a daddy daughter dance thing. They want to have like a dad. They want to have like a nice celebration, but they can't do that outside of the prison, obviously. So, of all people to come up with this, the daughters who are very young, um, you know, like just past infancy, basically, they come up like, why can't we go to the prison have a dance of our dads, um, which isn't engaged by the everybody involved, and like it it. It's a like that's like the basic plot structure of this thing, but in terms of like what it's doing, it's obviously it's showing us an inside look at the incarceration system in America and the you know very specific people that we're following and like the families outside of it and what they're dealing with. Um, I thought this was just a really, really well done documentary that it's, it's well rounded. It's it's um, you know obviously you're dealing with people that have been you know found guilty of crimes or what have you, and regardless of like certain kinds of opinions that come with that what you know whether the the guilt or what have you it's the it's watching them kind of process their rehabilitation process and what the family struggles are like and things like that that make it pretty fascinating to to kind of dig into and see so i i really like this document i think it's actually i don't know if it's coming to i think it's coming somewhere i'm not sure what brought it up but what do you think of the movie um, yeah, I liked it too. I saw it so late in the festival, I was kind of just too exhausted to be into it. Also, that happens. Yeah, yeah, and I also I saw it online in a way where I was like, I think I would have been more emotionally moved if I saw it with the audience at the premiere. And I mm -hmm. can't see every film like that, but um, I agree with you. I think I think it's really well done. I think I, the, my biggest issue with it, I can't talk about because it's not a spoiler, but it's kind of like in the second half of it. Sure. Uh, which is it's it, it, it it's. The, it all leads to this moment, but then there's also more of a story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I think it needs to kind of, I, I like that it follows the thread because the most important thing isn't simply here's the act of them putting on this father daughter dance, but how does that affect these people's lives? Not mm-hmm. only the daughters and that family outside of prison, but the fathers who are still in prison. Mm-hmm. And I like that it follows that thread through the entire film to show you the effect on them. Um, it reminded me of this other documentary I watched, I think it was like last year or two years ago about this. Uh, they put on a marathon in a prison. Yeah, um, that sounds, like, I didn't see that, but that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's like 25 to life or something like that, or 25.1. Yeah, life. yeah. And it's similar in the way where you get to know and you get to understand what these guys' like lives are like in prison and also understand how they are not only desperate to find freedom, but desperate to find something to appreciate on the outside. And in this case, that's just simply running and having this goal of being in you know, a marathon or an accomplishing something. And the same thing with daughters. It's like, they're just, I think, I think you probably felt the same way. There's the scene where the fathers are all like, this just gave me hope. This is, this is the moment where I finally realized that I have to get through prison and get back out when there was nothing through the rest of her time in prison. And that was really the most moving moment to me was just seeing mm-hmm. how, overwhelmingly affected these guys were by just having one night with their daughters, but that's all it really takes. That's like, that's actually the beauty of proper rehabilitation is not just throwing them into prison and hoping they'll get better, but like giving them something to live for and reminding them of the beauty of life. And that's, that can be as simple as it needs to be to, to change people's lives. Sure. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. I, I, I think it's obvious why it won the audience award, but at the same time, I think it's going to have a really strong impact when it reaches the public too. It's not just like a festival favorite. You know? I would, I would agree. Uh, I try, I try to cut through the bullshit on the, some of those things. Like, I want to pick the movies I like a lot. <laughs> so. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, another doc I wanted to talk about real quick. It's already on Netflix. It's called The Greatest Night in Pop. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's this like ninety-minute look at the the night that We Are the World was recorded. The day, the like the all-day session that We Are the World was recorded, which featured like forty different pop stars. Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, obviously, Lionel Richie, they're, they're like the spearheads. And then you have like Stevie Wonder and Belafonte and Cindy Lauper and Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen, Tina Turner. Like, it's just this ridiculous list of people for this song that came out uh, with the intention of like raising money for for like the hungry in Africa. Um, but like when you, you have to ask yourself, like, what is it like to have like 40 different huge pop stars all in the same room together recording this thing and figuring out the song and everything? I'm not going to say this is like a revolutionary documentary, but in terms of like getting archival footage of these people and watching them like, you know, with their guards down, just like interacting with one another and hearing stories about it. I found it fascinating. Like I, you know, again, formally, like it's, you know, it's a pretty standard documentary, but in terms of like what you're gaining from learning about all this stuff, I thought it was just really fun to watch. It was, it was really engaging. And even by the end of it, there's a couple moments where there's a, kind of acknowledgement of like the deal it is that it is to have all these people together that got to me. So like, I, I, I quite enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I actually haven't seen it, but I was very curious. Like they, they I wrote, I posted the trailer and I was like, is this actually going to be any good? <laughs> like <laughs> it seems like another one of these, like, Hey, we're going to get all this old archival footage about this one event. But as you're saying, is there some enjoyment in watching all this craziness in one place happen? Like my, my other question for you, I, I guess you shouldn't reveal at all is like, mm-hmm. Who becomes the strongest voices in the room? Like, who takes over? Well, that's what I found interesting, because there's obviously, like, if you have favorites among these people, you look forward to seeing them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hearing, 
because there's just drastically different voices on you know they have michael jackson and huey lewis like they're not the same people <laughs> like yeah, yeah. so it's like seeing how these different people responded to having to do certain things like springsteen was coming off of his born in the usa tour so his voice is like shot but he's still like he's, he's like the closer of the song and it's like mm -hmm. hearing him talk about what it was like to do that and then like watching footage of it it's just i found it to be really interesting like a couple of years ago, Summer of Soul is my favorite movie of the year in that premiere to right, say. Right, like, yeah. like that's a that's a stronger film to be just because I found it really there's a variety of reasons I found that morbid. But like as far as if you're on Netflix and you have 90 minutes to spare, this is a pretty cool way to do it. Like it's really just neat to see the talent and yeah, watching different voices that you recognize like match against each other, not not against, but you know, match with each other or like because they silo them off into like groups of three at different points too. So you're just like seeing these different like you know, unique styles all come together for this thing for a song that's good. I mean, it's a good song, also. Like it's, it you know, it, when you have Jackson and Quincy Jones cooking up a tune together, it tends to work out pretty well. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I just you know, again, it's you know, it's pretty no frills. But in terms of like just the history of it, it's a pretty cool doc. Good, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Um, you know, the other doc I want to mention before we wrap up from Docs is Girls State. I'm sure you know about this one, too. Yeah, the the the, the much-asked-for sequel to Boys State. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I remember watching the end of Boys State when Sam Jackson came into the room and it's like, I'm going to invite you girls to the Avengers Initiative. <laughs> and that was code for, I'm going to do make government with you now <laughs> instead. Well, that's exactly how it starts. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jackson shows up again and he says, welcome to Girls State. Welcome to Girls State. <laughs> No, I would. I well, that actually be really cool. Um, no, it is. It is. Uh, Did you like Boy State? Were you a fan of Boy State? I was, but I was. It's it's a weird one to me because I have a hard time separating my distaste for the politics within it with my taste for the filmmaking. Sure. Like I, it's it's one of these things where it's like I don't know even know how to talk about the filmmaking. Same with Girls State because I'm like it's so competently put together and it's so nicely shot and. Mm -hmm. It's one of these films where the filmmaking almost disappears because the point is you want to feel immersed in an understanding of the stories you're watching and what's going on. Yeah, it's very fly on the wall. Yeah, and the uh, the filmmaking is not even like, I don't even know how to comment on it on either of them because all, all I can say is that I think it's great because I was so immersed and intrigued by it and, and also caught up. They do the same thing with this one where they they like highlight four or five women uh, just like in the first one where they highlighted four or five guys and kind of followed them through their boy state experience. This is the same thing. And um, they, I think they kind of knew it uh, at the Q and a, they were, someone asked like, how early did you know? And how early did you, you know, begin working on this following boy state? And they were basically like, they didn't do it at the time. They didn't, you know, plan both of them parallel, but he did say, this is Jesse Moss, the director at the end that he's like, uh, basically as soon as they finished boy state, they're like, they knew they needed to do the girl state and it just took time and different planning. This one takes place in Missouri. To, to backtrack, the, the whole premise of this, Boy State was, it's like a summer camp for yeah. political aspirational like youths, essentially, yeah. boys and boys. And now this one is about girls, obviously. Yeah, and they all get together for like a week-long session at some college campus, and they basically have to form a government. And so the interesting thing is that all of us went into this knowing Boy State and thinking, oh, we're just going to see this, but from the girls' perspective, and maybe there's going to be like, more liberal progressive ideas or what they're going to be discussing abortion more, which they kind of do. But then there's also a lot of other stuff that I had not expected to appear. Um, and I don't want to give away all of it, but sure. essentially it's, 
like one aspect of it is that these women are on the same campus as the boy state, which the, the film says this is the first time this has ever happened. Usually boy state and girl state are on different campuses at different times. But for this year, they have to be there at the same time. And the most interesting thing that comes up is that the girls start comparing consistently throughout the whole film how different their girl state is and the rules they have than the boy state version, which is happening at the same time as them. They're like, we have to sing a song. We can only go out in pairs. We can do these things that, you know, like, and they're like, it becomes this kind of example of sexism and how interesting that is. And therefore, it adds this whole other dimension to it that you wouldn't have thought rather than just here's a bunch of girls debating politics. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is interesting as well, but um, not as interesting as the bigger picture of what I think the filmmakers creatively captured, but also it comes from the girls themselves, which is that they picked up on this just by being there and they were able to voice their concerns about that. They actually tried to bring it up to the directors of the whole thing and they were like, whatever. Like I was like, damn, man, they, I can't believe they kind of shrugged off the girls who were making... Like, like, is that not the point of this government that they're trying to form is to bring up issues, you know, but the, it's, a, it's, it's a great film. I, I think they worked well, very well as companion pieces. Um, if you're not interested in it, like if it sounds boring to you, I do think that they would be films you would best experience in school. You know, like I can absolutely see mm -hmm. watching both of them in high school and having a discussion about them and thinking about them and going deep. Because I think they're not only good films as a cinematic standpoint, but I think they're really two of the best films ever made about modern politics and how debate and discussion happens and how government works and how how young people find their way into that and how they work through it. It's really fascinating. And I I I love this one actually more than Voice Day. So I will throw my hat into the girls state ring more than i would boy state boy state i don't want to mention because it's so politically annoying this one's like much more hopeful is this coming to apple like boy state did yes yeah okay cool i don't know if it was announced but i saw the director a few days ago and that's what he told me exclusive on out now there in a day alex billigan tells all apple release for boys girl state a sequel he, to boy state <laughs> yeah i saw him at um this same director jesse moss he uh he, he co-directed girl state but he also co-directed another film um another documentary assignment he had two films this year that called war game oh. um and that one is also a politically charged film. Um, and I had to see it just because I had to. It wasn't online because, again, it's a very politically intriguing film where, uh, similar to Girl State and Boy State, is that he goes and films a mock coup event within the government. Mm. Um, and basically, uh, the, the funny thing is none of the descriptions say this, but as soon as the film starts, it's absolutely clear. They basically were so scared by January 6th, 2021, that this group set up a mock game in a hotel in Washington, D.C. to, and it's kind of scary to say this because it's about to happen, you know, we're not even there yet, but to pretend what would happen if there was a coup in the 2024 election. As in the same kind of thing happened, this group would come over, take over the Capitol, blah, 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 and what you do is you you are in the room with the president and uh, his, his um, various staff, as well as other advisors for like the head of National Guard, the head of, you know, FBI, CIA, and Homeland Security, and all this stuff. And all of these people are played by actual various government, either, like, the, the president is played by the governor of Montana, I think it is. And then other people are from other various high-level government positions playing roles in this. And Jesse Moss, similar to Girl State, presents a fly-on-the-wall look at what happens through this 
they have like six hours to figure out what to do with the coup. Um, and it's fascinating and it's extremely unsettling. And I, yeah, that's all I'll say. <laughs> okay. That was at Sundance also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, was, it, uh, was it picked up or was it going somewhere? No, I mean, yeah. You didn't ask him about that? I did. Well, he actually, well, he didn't say who, but he did say uh, there, because this is what he told me. He said, uh, Girl State should be out on Apple TV really quickly, whereas this one, they want to play it theatrically throughout the rest of the year. And oh. they want to, they want to cause it, to, uh, you know, well, that, whole, that makes sense. Point, yes. Yeah, the whole point is to be a conversation starter and all this. And I was thinking like, great, but by the end of the film, I'm like, is this going to have the impact he thinks it's going to have by November? Because it's about the coming November election. More than know? nothing. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. The audience I was with was really engaged and really um, everyone stayed for the Q&A, which is always a good sign. So I don't... I, I didn't think it dug deep enough. I thought it was a little bit light in addressing the potential of a coup. But uh, this is not a political podcast, so we'll get into that another time. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, let's see. Well, I know you wanted to wrap up documentaries, but there, there, there's <laughs> well, one I feel it, it. there's one that feels needs to come up just because I feel like we're on different sides of this. Uh oh. Uh oh. Here we go. Uh, Skywalker's a love story, of course. Right. Um, this is a documentary that charts two extreme climbers, as in rooftoppers, as they call themselves. So they, they basically they climb up these large skyscrapers around the world and take lots and lots of pictures and videos of themselves doing it, achieving lots of social clout in the process. Two uh, Russian um, slash Ukrainian climb rooftoppers uh, kind of join forces, man and a woman. And fall in love in the process, and the doc kind of chronicles their love story matched against uh, various objectives they intend to tackle, including the um, the like the second tallest building in the world that they attempt to uh, climb as well. Now, I'm not going to say this movie is amazing, but I do think that the footage captured is pretty impressive, and it's a neat idea for a documentary it has a kind of a, a very specific kind of narrative as opposed to being like fly on the wall would have you you're actually watching a literal love story play out over the course of a movie like this um i think the the highlight of it for me is just seeing the footage they're capturing mm. um i i feel like that that alone is the kind of thing that will sell that would sell me on a, a watch of this movie in terms of what it's what other angles it's after it's not nearly as effective as something like Man on Wire or Free Solo as far as movies involving people doing death-defying stunts. Um, but I I do think from a, you know, from a, um, the sights you see and, you know, vertigo-inducing footage and stuff like that, there's like, there's there's something to to, uh, to write home about with that kind of thing. But Alex, I'm aware that you're not a fan of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm now going to be infamous for this because uh, everyone I talked, I saw it very late at the festival at the end of the fest. Like I had a, an online screener and was like, okay, I'll save it for the end. So throughout the festival, people would come up to me and be like, have you seen Skywalkers? It's so great. This is one of my favorites. And I was like, oh, good, good. I'll, I'm looking forward to it. So by the time I caught up to it, like everyone had told me it was the, the, you know, incredible thing and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, man. I just, I have like 10 issues with it. Number one, <laughs> you ready, Aaron? Uh-huh. <laughs> Number one, I think the, the love story, which is the only thing that works about it, as you said, there is beautiful footage of them doing these crazy things. And then there's the love story. And the love story kind of works because it's supposedly authentic. Although I, I question that, but um, 
it's so cheesy. It's like Hallmark Channel level cheesy to me. <laughs> there are so many lines in it where they're like, oh, we must trust each other. We can only do this if we can hold. I'm like, it, oh my It God. very much feels like a love story where things happen and they're like, okay, now let's do that again for the camera. Like, I don't, yeah, deni exactly. I don't deny that. Exactly. I do think it feels like a, we're capturing a moment, but it's our rehearsed version of the moment that actually did play out, but now it's a little different. And my annoyance with the woman who they, they seem like nice people. I can't, <laughs> but my annoyance with the woman is the way she like, she's like, I need a man who I can trust will take care of me. And she does this through the metaphor of, will he let her drop off of like rooftop? I'm like, come on, this is so cheesy. So not only that, but also the, I, I, I am extremely frustrated as an adventure sports fan by the fact that this is claims to be an adventure sport when it's not, it's just idiots doing unsafe dumb things purely they're not doing it for the pure the, for the sport they're doing it for the photos they're doing it for the instagram you know they're doing it for the gram and that's it they climb this thing they get their photo they leave they get the f out of there that's it that's I, the only goal. i'll take slight umbrage there like i i do think that there is a there's a value they have to the thing that they've found success in does that i mean i get that there's a i don't know a, a sellout aspect of it as far as like what the what one of the outcomes is, which is hundreds of thousands of followers and likes or what have you, I can see that being, I can see that feeling crass um, at the same time that like, I don't, I don't think you, there's other ways to get clout. I mean, like, it's, it's not, it's not like climbing a building like this is some easy thing that they like fell into like that, that, that does take a level of weird skill to be like let's let's break into various buildings at different times of day avoid security have elaborate disguises get to the very top of this impossible structure and you know then take the picture and get all the class i i do think there's something there that that's more than know, just we're doing it for just this one no, thing it is though that and this is it is their youthful rebellious aspect that leads them to that it's like they they start it, it's, well now you sound like an old man yes but first things first <laughs> it's interesting that all of these kids come from russia which is like i think it represents the russian culture of like the need to be a rebellious but also be the need to like feel free in a country that is so constrictive and one of the things you do is you break on roofs and do cool stuff and get a photo and then of course because social media is everywhere you get social media clout and you're cool now and that gives you another level of freedom that you gain doesn't it, that it, seem kind of neat though as far as no, what we feel about russia petty. versus what, what no what it's, people petty, it's petty and pathetic and extremely narcissistic <laughs> and then i I've, I've said this to multiple people that it's, I've seen at least two, if not more, films at Sundance, documentaries about how toxic and, and unhealthy and horrible social media is. They premiered at Sundance, multiple documentaries. And yet here we have a film also premiering at Sundance. It's like, look, social media is amazing. Look how many followers they got. Like every other 10 minutes in this film, they're like, look, they got more followers. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> Don't we know that by now? Like, why are we celebrating this in here? Like, and what frustrates me, Aaron, is not that that that, that isn't happening, because that's clearly what happened to them in real life, but that there isn't more to the story that makes it worthwhile beyond the the gram and beyond the followers. So well, those are, thing, those, those, those are things goal. I agree with. I mean, I, I may, I may uh, differ with you on, like, in overall intention, but I can't agree that, yeah, there's not much more to this beyond what it's doing, and the way it's presenting one of the main aspects feels, you know, staged uh you know I, I i i can agree that the validity of their relationship that's not what i'm calling the question but in terms of like how they're presenting it yeah that feels like we know where there's going to be narration and stuff like it, it you have to manufacture a story out of something out of all of this um but i again 
I do think the, you know, visually and in terms of certain challenges they have to overcome, like there's parts where they need to hide for a certain period of time to do certain things. Like I, I, I found that uh, stuff. I found that to be interesting. I haven't seen no. that before. It's so cheesy. <laughs> They're waiting <laughs> in the cave for 30 hours. They run out of water. You're going to go steal it. This is like, go watch cliffhanger again, man. Go have, go watch something actually cheesy. Good. Not this movie. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I would be, I, I'm surprised because I thought having seen it, I think more people would be mid. I don't understand why so many people love it. You seem to have a fair opinion on it, but a lot of other I'm a fair kind of guy. It. Yes, and I appreciate <laughs> and I respect your opinion. But a lot of other people, now that I've talked to them, I'm like, why do they love this movie so much? Are they just, I, I think they just, I think it was an example where they went in and they were able to, uh, as, as dumb as it is to say, I think it's true. They turned off their brain and they had this fun, let's go to Russia and all over the world and have this crazy experience with these two wacky kids movie. And they got their kind of like super sweet, fun love story moment. And I just was like, I couldn't stand a second of this movie. Oh, actually, still not my worst documentary of the festival, but I, I couldn't stand it. Fair enough. Okay. Cold as ice. Billington strikes again on this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, everyone's I, like, okay, cancel this guy. Let me, let me say this, though. It is the best film with Skywalker in the title. I feel like that's fair. <laughs> I, I defend the Star Wars movie, but we shouldn't talk about that because oh, it really will be canceled. Well, at least somebody is because you know they're bankrupt on ideas. <laughs> so at least you have one. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, I don't know. Let's get back to the Jews uh, between the temples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've been waiting to hear your your well, especially you your thoughts on this. Um, this movie, it's I, I I am between this and Cha Cha Real Smooth. I'm like well, yes, and uh, what's it? Um, the, the Sandler movie. Um, you're so not invited oh, by Maritza. Right, right, right. Right, right. Uh, give me thank you for finally getting us more bar mitzvah and bar mitzvah movies like i am so about this because this is such a relatable thing <laughs> as far as like i went through all these things um specifically <laughs> anyway, of, course, so, of course the sampler one of course i had a million dollar party with all kinds of crazy crap on the walls and stuff. Well, i don't know maybe you did i but did also, not Aaron, Aaron, before yeah. we continue you need to sing your verses or we're not gonna be able to get through this uh, that takes too long um and i don't have the no, sheet no no, in front no, no. Of we do we do <laughs> to pause the get, we get, i need to hear them in in Hebrew, or it's not possible. <laughs> and we're back. I, so I did them, and Abe, of course, edited them out because it was just way too long. But yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, all right, so Between the Temples, this stars Jason Schwartzman and Carol Kane. Um, uh, basically, Jason Schwartzman, he's like, he plays a cantor, like who is a, you know, a singer in a, in a synagogue. Uh, he leads the prayers during the during synagogue. And he's having a crisis of faith because of a life event that happened. And he somehow meets up with his old grade school music teacher, who's played by uh, Carol Kane, and she wants to get an adult bat mitzvah. And so it becomes this kind of Schwartzman's trying to like pick up the pieces of his life and do something new. He forms this like relationship with Carol Kane's character at the same time, like his family and friends are also like involved in his life and are trying to like help him too. And there's mixed drama happening but it's ostensibly a very funny movie like there's mm. it, it's it's inside in the way that i like to say where it's very specific about what it's doing which makes it more relatable uh to people just because of the kind of little details of what have you but you're still picking up on what schwartzman 
his inner thoughts are like just like what what his state of affairs is throughout the film it just reads as very funny but still like grounded in his own way and i just had a i was consistently like uh smirking throughout this thing mm. like even when it like has like downer beats or whatnot because he plays a basically a sad sack um it's still like consistently funny throughout the film uh i i had a great time with this one i, I really like between the temples did you like where it I mean, I don't want to explain the details, but just generally where it goes and what what happens with him. Um, like, yes, as far as this is fitting for this kind of guy. Um, I'm not going to say like it surprised me, but it was also like, well, clearly like there has to be a like a, a clash between like all the different parties involved in this story and what's that going to be like. Mm. And it kind of comes out as like, well, no, that, that's kind of what it would be. <laughs> I guess that. Yeah. So. Okay, okay. I I was a bit mixed on that because I kind of didn't know and felt a little bit uncomfortable with where it was going. But I'm also like, I'm gonna let it do its thing. I you I know? see. I, I agree with that. I think it's very much riding on the uncomfortable line in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. But there's an assurity, I think, to. To what Schwartzman's do like I really like Schwartzman in this movie. I think he's really been on for the past couple of years or every time I've seen him. And I think he's like he's finding the right energy to play this kind of this kind of role. True. True. That's very true. I um I didn't love it as much as you. I I, I saw it, I also saw this with my mom and she really liked it. Um I was a little bit put off by the like shaky cam kind of really intense close-ups every shot yeah it has like a verite um, thing going on it's like yeah. well this is a choice like that i agree with that's like oh, there's a little much for a movie like this <laughs> and i i i it didn't put me off but it also didn't pull me in is that it's like jewish joke after jewish joke after jewish joke not stop you know like mm-hmm. deep in jewish culture jokes and moments and things and um i was fine with it i actually my mom gave such a great review. I, I actually wish I recorded it because the way she explained it and what she was talking about, I was like, damn, like you really made me appreciate it even more than I thought I did understanding where it's going and what it's doing with the story of the sad sack Schwartzman and his, his kind of like moment of what he needs to go through. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I w- I also will confess on this podcast that I am my biggest crush of the entire festival is on this Madeline Weinstein woman who uh, appears multiple times in this film. Okay. <laughs> the 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 second love interest. There's a there's a younger love interest that Jason Schwartzman yeah, has in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like when she appeared. I was like, whoa, okay. And that was like the rest of the festival. I'm like, oh wow. I I confess, I confess my Jewish sins here. Oh wait, do they have sins in Judaism? I don't know. But yes. I confess. <laughs> <laughs> Not, and, in that, uh, but yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I can't tweet this, or someone's gonna give me shit. But here I am confessing it on your show, so uh, I feel I feel much better now, and we can we can continue into our hymns and uh, sing our verses. <laughs> uh, there was also like there's another character who I was like, I know this face. Who is this? And it's Dolly De Leon yeah, from yeah, uh, yeah. Angel of Sadness. And it's like, that's such a different movie than this movie. So I'm like, oh, that's neat. <laughs> she popped up here. She's really good in this, and she's really good in Ghostlight. She's had two Sundance films this year. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I found it fascinating that she is a Jewish... Like, uh, I actually thought it was really cool. I don't know if we should reveal this, but that she's married to another woman in this, and that they are, like, two moms. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that not only was that okay in Judaism, but that 
uh, Dolly De Leon is playing essentially converted Jew because at one point I was like, isn't she from the Philippines? Mm -hmm. And at some point she says that. She's like, oh yeah, I'm from the Philippines and I converted. And I was like, oh, okay, at least you admit that in the film and let it, let it play out as as the proper character and who she is. And she's a she's a nice part of this. I I, I loved her more in Ghostlight, but she's she's ever since Triangle Saturn, she's like grown into these really excellent supporting roles every time she appears in something. Yeah. Um... Let's talk about kneecap. Do you see kneecap? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Uh, this is a. Um, it's. It feels like I need to, you got to do the whole what it's like movie. I. I think the best I can describe it is it feels like a John Carney type movie, but yeah. what if Danny Boyle Train Spotting era directed it? Yeah, exactly. And it's really effective. <laughs> yeah, I, I dug it. This is a. It was like a fun burst of joy. This movie. It's about this this Irish rap group. Um. And just like basically like the origin of them becoming the rap group that they are. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> is true, right? They're like an actual rap group. I don't know. And I'm based on how they were kind of showing themselves in this movie. It seemed like this is like an exaggerated version of the true story of kneecap. Maybe. Uh, but regardless, I thought it was just a lot of fun. It, okay. It's, it's, um, it has like a bit of an agenda as far as the relationship of Gaelic to, like the languages mm -hmm. of the world, which I found was pretty fascinating because uh, mm -hmm. the movie's like ostensibly in, you know, in English, but, you know, Irish accents, but it also is spoken largely in Gaelic as well. And so like seeing that combination, seeing how that's like, like an, an important theme for the film, I found that'd be pretty neat. But on top of that, uh, you have these Irish rappers who pretty good rappers. I enjoyed what I was hearing. Um, it's got, you know, it's very, I'm not going to say over-directed, but it's a very showy movie. There's a lot of things happening in the style, like I mentioned, Danny Boyle. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I, and there's a, I mean, he's in the cast, but there's a really, like, cool role for Michael Fassbender in this movie. Yeah, so yeah. I really liked. So uh, it just it was a complete package for me. I, I enjoyed this movie quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, me too, me too, me too. I um, was so glad to come find it. Like, I, I don't know, I kind of ignored it when I was making my schedule. Mm -hmm. And then I caught up with it. I was like, yeah, this, I, this is great. I had a blast with it. Like, this is this is also exactly the kind of energetic, kind of engaging films I love to see at Sundance, where you're just kind of like, you 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 come out of it vibrating because it was so cool. Um, and I and I, my favorite part about it is the the, the there's like this dude who is a translator at the beginning, mm -hmm. um, and he becomes a part of them. And I just <laughs> loved his storyline and watching him get mixed up with them and go crazy with them and become a part of it. It's just like. It's everything you said. It's just it's just a good time, and um, yeah, I dug the music too. I don't know. I had such a great time with it, and I I I hope it has a strong life outside of the festival. I kind of worried that it would get, I don't know, not lost in the mix, but like not given the support it needs in the same way a John Carney film would. Like sure. Sing, Sing Street was this huge Sundance hit. It got proper release. Everything went behind it. I'm like, I want the same thing for Kneecap that that had, and I want people to give it this like. You know, you, you know, of course, it's not reinventing anything because John Carney has done the same sort of thing. But I do think it is a very strong Ireland film. Um, I, like you said, I really enjoyed seeing the appreciation of the language, but also the representation of Ireland in it. Like so mm -hmm. many films I see about Ireland that are with Irish people or even, you know, commenting on it are like this. They don't want to touch the duality of it. They want to be like, oh, we all live together now. It's fine because they went through the troubles and they don't want to bring it up again. But this film was like, no. <laughs> Ireland and Irish people and the Irish language are important and screw all you English bastards. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I thought that was cool too. For sure. No, I um 
I can I can see like what the ad campaign would be to be like marketing this thing where it's like yeah it's fun but it has an edge like I I yeah, get yeah. that that whether that or not, whether that connects or not that's another story but I do think there's you know I I don't think it's as good as Train Spot but I do think it has the kind of like the the momentum that that movie could have if mm-hmm. it, if it's kind of pushed the right way and I yeah I would hope that exactly. audiences find it yeah exactly um I want to talk about a couple more. Uh, just because I don't want to go too long here, so let's talk about like one more. Let's talk about one we weren't so big on, and then let's go to our best of fest. Unless you did you you didn't talk about your favorite of festival, did you? No, uh, no, actually. Okay, so let's let's talk about one, let's talk about a couple more that we are lesser on, and then let's talk about the our, our favorites of the festival. Uh, okay, okay. Now I'm one trying, do you want to bring up that? Well, I'm trying to that? I'm trying to think of one that I won't get in trouble bringing up and mentioning. Okay. You know, I was like, oh, you know which one I'll talk about because I wasn't too big on, and yet other people seem to enjoy. It was my old ass. Okay. As it is known. It's with uh, Aubrey Plaza, right? Yes. In which every every critic was like, my old ass liked this movie. So everyone made the joke. Um, it must have been hilarious every single time. Yeah, it was. And also, it's it's uh, it's a comedy. So it's like ripe for this kind of amusement. And I was just, especially afterwards, I was like, I don't, I don't have time for your stupid jokes anymore, people. Um, my old ass is, I was excited for it. It was actually on my most anticipated list because it was supposed to be a sci-fi-esque concept where this girl, it's a Canadian film. It's like very Canadian film. Mm-hmm. So this girl um, uh, at the her final summer at home with her parents, she works on a cranberry farm in Canada. Oh, and, one of those. Yeah, she's about to go move to Toronto to go to university. And so it's her final summer there. And in this final summer, she's like uh, hanging out with her friends. They have a mushroom trip and she meets her older self played by Aubrey Plaza. And I thought, oh, this is a cool concept. I love, you know, when they do this kind of stuff. Um, similar to another Sundance film a few years ago called, um, shoot, I forget the name, was Zoe Lister-Jones. She directs it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Pandemic one where she also, like, encounters her older, younger mm-hmm. self. So I thought, okay, cool. But the film, it, it's like, it deals with everything I just said in the first 15 minutes. And then it has the rest of the film. And I'm like, well, that's it? That's all we get with Aubrey Plaza, basically? And the rest of the film is just this kind of like mediocre teen drama with comedy where she just deals with all the most standard cliche end of summer final year before going to university things, which is just, you know, oh, she doesn't deal with her family enough. She needs to connect with them. She has a new love interest who pops up. She needs to, you know, all these things. I'm like, that's it. And the whole movie, I'm like waiting for something else to happen. And then it just ends. And I was like, huh? And like people went instantly into standing ovation. I'm like, for this movie, the the woman next to me was crying her eyes out, which was interesting because I'm just sitting there like with a grump with my arms crossed, like, oh, when is this gonna end? And the woman's like, oh, and I, I don't know if it's simply because I'm a man and I didn't connect with this woman's story, or if it's just not a good film, which is what I think is the case. But that was my biggest grump experience this year. That where a film that I thought was gonna be fantastic was just very middle of the road standard and and most importantly fails at using its cool concept to do anything interesting with it how it ends is the blister jones movie that we're talking about yeah exactly exactly um yeah i also don't recommend (laughs) like it either okay uh yeah i mean you're the first person i've heard that didn't like this movie so it's it's not that it's bad it's just not that it's good you know you're the first person i heard that just absolutely hated this movie i hear you yeah yeah well aaron i might hate a lot of stuff you know (laughs) Um, the last you will, one you will like it. That's what's funny. I think you're gonna really like it. Yeah, we'll see. I don't like everything. <laughs> um, right, there, there's often a lot, there's a lot of films where I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, and I moved on with my life and never thought about it again. Uh, and then people talk about it and they're like, I guess that's a movie I saw once. 
Um, that's more my reaction to most things. <laughs> it's like I just very quickly move on and don't talk about it because the world doesn't need to hear my middling takes on things. And I can talk about things I like. Mm -hmm. um, the movie I'm going to talk about, speaking of things I don't like, is Veni Vidi Vici. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you see this one? No, but I heard about it. It's uh, not good. That <laughs> question. Um, it is about a rich family who are so rich that the father is this sniper that just randomly shoots people all over town um, and gets away with it because he has the means to do so, but also because he's just what he, he he acts like he the movie presents him almost as if he's like a Bruce Wayne or like. No one can even believe the idea that this is the guy that's doing this. But there's this mysterious epidemic of people getting shot at random all over town. And it's like, it sucks. Um, and and it, it it's a, it's a, I think a, it's an Austrian film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's yeah, Austrian. Yeah, it's, yeah. And so it's like this guy, they're this, they're this like one percenter group. Um, he has a wife and daughters, and they're all horrible. They're all horrible people. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the idea, like you can direct, you can compare this to like a, a um, what's the triangle standard? Ruben Oslin's film, like a Ruben yeah, Oslin type movie, um, or any number, any number of movies that want to like make a comment on the rich. The problem is, it's doing it ostensibly from the side of these people. Not that the movie's like supporting them, but it's doing it in a way where ideally it wants you to be like, look how isn't this terrible? How terrible is this? Right? But you're supposed to laugh along with it because it's such a dark comedy. But it doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the marks in the way I think it wants to. Now, is that another thing where it's an American disconnect compared to like the people of Austria or something? Perhaps maybe there's a European side of this that like appreciates what it's going for more. But at the same time, I, I like Ruben Oslin films uh, very much, and I think he knows what he's doing with this kind of material. Where this movie, I just I couldn't get on board with like the the way it tried to get laughs out of the cavalier use of death. Um, and it takes it to extremes. It very much goes very far with the kinds of people that are shot and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it, it's also, there's nothing it's saying that feels unique to me. Um, it just is like, this is crazy, right? Rich people. Aren't they terrible? <laughs> like, and it's like, yeah, I, thanks. Um, so ultimately, yeah, I, I just thought it was uh, pretty bad. Uh, pretty, pretty not great. But it's pretty it's short. Yeah, so, that's what it was like. It was like eighty something minutes. Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's yeah, that's why I watched it. I was like, well, I could, I could quickly put this uh, on. One of the shortest ones, which is a general thing I like about Sundance. They tend to pick ninety minute movies. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Actually, there was one I was going into that was two hours, and I was like, oh man, really? Why? And then Sundance, thinking, like, come on. Yeah, I was thinking like, oh right, but in Cannes everything is a minimum two hours. But yeah, yeah. I'm like, if it's two hours, I'm like, oh no, I don't want to waste my time on it. <laughs> Um, no, there's I the the thing the reason I didn't watch it is that I personally I know this is just my personal criticism but I have an issue with these films that are becoming more and more common where they're like we're gonna address some problem with society by just showing you how bad this is in the film and that's it as if like showing it to you will make you rethink things when I'm like we already deal with this in real life why do you need to like why is that your commentary on the social thing I I read that the the director said. Oh, this is this could happen. Like Trump's, he he quoted Trump's quote about how you could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, and it's I, that movie come to life. That's exactly. what it is. Yeah. And I'm like, why do you need to make this movie to make your point about how that's bad? Like, don't we? Wh why? And it's a it's a common trend in filmmakers now where they're like, oh, we're gonna. It's the same thing I think is coming up with Alex Garland's Civil War, and I'm very worried about that movie too because it's the same thing where I'm like, we don't need this. We don't need you to show us what a civil war is like for us to be afraid of a civil war. Thank you. We don't need to see people being shot to be afraid of that. That's not going to change anything. It's not the kind of commentary 
that I think is truly necessary in filmmaking right now, but they love to do it for some whatever reason. I do wonder, you know, we haven't seen it, so we don't know. I do wonder if Garland has more up his sleeve with that than just the basic idea. Like, I'll be curious where that goes. I don't I, think I, so, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And like, judging by like men, a movie I did not like where it, it hits its point pretty yeah. hard and then continues yeah. hitting the point for 90 more minutes. Yeah, I'm not exactly just expecting Civil War to have much more to say. At the same time, it's not like Alex Garland hasn't made films I really like, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, but the funny thing is that I almost think Garland understands this criticism because he already announced that he's going to go back and make uh, 28 years or weeks or days or whatever the next sequel is. Leap years um, later. Yeah. with, with It's a really far in the future. <laughs> which is funny because it, it's happening more and more in Hollywood where these people are like, I will never go back and do a sequel to this. And then like 20 years later, they're like, well, okay, I guess it's finally time to do it. To be fair, it's also Danny Boyle being like, you know what? I haven't had a hit movie in several years. Maybe I should just do the easy thing. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying about Garland, too. I think he's like, well, people are going to hate these last two movies he made. So he's like, maybe I should go back and do the one that people love again. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, he should make Dread, too. You're right. He should, but I don't know what happened to that one. Well, <laughs> some people do. <laughs> and none of the stories are very positive. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, despite that movie, you know, being fucking kick ass. So, yeah, true, true. speaking of kick ass, Alex, let's get to your favorite film of the. Fi- See how great I am with this. Uh, what's your favorite film of the festival? Perfect segue. Perfect segue. <laughs> um, I what I uh, by mere coincidence watched my favorite film last night at the very last day of the festival, The Outrun. Um, oh, okay. Starring Saoirse Ronan. Uh, although she's Irish, she's playing a. She says she's English in the film, although she sounded Irish and never addressed it. She could have floated down a river to the she, other side. She's she her parents are live up in Scotland on this island, and she spends all, the whole film is set in Scotland. And at some point, someone literally says to her, like a Scottish dude is like, "Oh, I don't recognize your accent. That's weird." And she's like, "Oh, I'm from London, and my parents are English." And I was like, "What? Can't you just say your parents are Irish? Because you still sound Irish." Anyway, Saoirse Ronan. Absolutely incredible, as always, but especially in this film. Um, and it's basically, without saying too much, it's basically an alcohol addiction drama of her dealing with her obsession with alcohol. Thankfully, it doesn't go to the extremes that a lot of addiction films do. Um, and it just kind of sticks to this kind of nice, pure story of here's a woman struggling and here's what she's going through. And her experience is kind of essentially going back up to the the Highland this uh, the Orkney Islands, I think they're called, which is these islands even outside of Scotland at the, the very northern part of the country. And she goes up there to reconnect with her parents who have a farm there and kind of just like escape the craziness of London and sort of figure herself out. And it's just so, the editing is incredible. Um, I love the score. I love Social Ronan in it, the gorgeous cinematography. I knew I would like it. I just didn't know I would love it this much. And it really, really just like, I, I can't wait to see it again. It's one of those films. The Outrun, it's called. Put it on your list, people. Write it down. Outrun. <laughs> the title has a has a weird irrelevance to the film, but it is uh, as long as it's memorable, that's all that matters. I, I have heard uh, great things about that without knowing anything about it, and I, I purposely kind of just tuned out a bit, so I still don't really know too much about it, but I, I am looking <laughs> okay, forward great, to seeing great, it. Great. Um, well, good. Okay. Uh, my favorite film of the fest was Exhibiting Forgiveness. Um, now, favorite i would say like it's pretty much tied of a real pain dd and daughters like i feel like all those are about the same to me it's splitting hairs right. but this is something i really did like uh quite a bit it, it stars um uh andre holland um sorry one second like a random as andre holland 
Andre Holland presents exhibiting forgiveness. <laughs> he's he's like he's an artist. He is in a position where he needs to um basically his family has to how do I say this without like getting too just far? Just say it. Just say it. He has to deal with the family matter. <laughs> he has to deal with the family matter. That's fair. Uh, uh, he uh, he something ha- to do with his father. Yeah, well, he has an estranged father um, who is dealing with some really difficult stuff, and we learn about the their his childhood throughout the film. Um, and again, like it's it's not one where it's trying to do anything that's all that unique to filmmaking, uh, but I think the director and writer. Uh, Titus Kapar, um, he gets re- just really strong performances that I really liked in this movie. I think Andre Holland is a really great actor, and I don't feel like he's being utilized all that much, and at least in not all that well for the amount of skill I think he possesses. Um, so, like seeing him have a chance to lead a film like this that really just gets him to you know just be the great dramatic actor that he is um, was really rewarding. And then on top of that, you have this other actor playing his father, who I'm just not very familiar with, who I also think is pretty excellent in this film. Now, Alex, you already brought up the idea of like, you know, broken families and bad parents or whatnot being a bit, you know, cliche at this point or what have you. I'm not denying that. Like, I've certainly seen movies like this before, mm-hmm. but I appreciate when it's frankly just done well. I, I think it's a very solid black story, very specific to what it's doing, very specific to its kind of time and place um, and how it's addressing this specific family. And it's it's the strength of those performances and honestly just like the filmmaking i think is just good like that's sometimes that's just all i ask for just to give me a good drama and i think this is a good one i'm glad you liked it i mean i was looking forward to hearing what you had to say about it because i saw it on your list and was like oh aaron like this one okay <laughs> um and i do think my screening i was at the premiere and the screening was obviously into it um the, everyone loved it uh, in a way where I think he got an instant standing ovation like the moment he appeared on stage at the end. It was one of the yeah. few I watched the Q&A after for because yeah. online you can see the Q&As and so I watched that one and the daughter's one. Those are the only two I watched the Q&As for. Other, everybody else could fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow, okay. Um, no, it was, it, it, and it felt like the audience was into it and most importantly was very moved by it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very somber and emotional film, I think. Um, and I, I'm... I'm I'm more intrigued to hear your thoughts because I was just kind of like middle of the road on it. I don't think it's fair enough. I wasn't I wasn't as disliking it as much as my old ass, but it was <laughs> like I just didn't, you know, it, I think I had the problem where I was like, I've seen, you know, 25 films at this point when I saw it and I'm like, it didn't really do anything that uh, I don't know how to say it, like intrigued me. Yeah. But I no, also that's... was like, I don't have much to criticize about it. It just didn't win me over. And I like what it's doing. I, I like you said, the performances are excellent. Um, the father, especially, uh, I I like the guy's art. <laughs> they actually actually yeah. they gave me uh, three little flyer things that are like his uh, the the big paintings he does. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I cool. Should send them, I should send them to you because I I will pass them on to someone who can appreciate them more. I would appreciate that. That's nice. I like that actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I I hear you, and uh, I I certainly know what it feels like to be like you've watched a ton of films, and it's like. I can't quite register this in the way that maybe it's intended. I th- theater camp was that for me last year where mm-hmm. I was just watched that at the wrong time. So it's just like, okay, I chuckled a bit, but like, I just didn't have get much out of it. And I still haven't rewatched it yet to give it the, the time and day to really see if I, if I actually like it more than I think I do. Yeah. Um, 
My biggest issue with exhibiting forgiveness was more in the second half stuff, which we can't discuss on this podcast. But just like it was like, oh, I really like the setup. I really like him exploring his life as a painter and how he deals with his parents. I really like what's going on here, and then the rest. Okay. <laughs> and 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 I I I think more most importantly, and I don't say this in a false you know I'm bullshitting way, but honestly, is that I I'm glad this film will have a connection and an emotional impact on a lot of people. I think the whole concept of forgiveness that it's trying to explore is so strong in it that it will reach the right people and really affect them. And that's what matters more than whether or not I liked it, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. Okay, well, we've talked about a lot of films. We did, we did. Uh, I think we got a good uh, rounded perspective of what Sundance was like as far as the slate of films are concerned this year. Alex, thank you for joining me for talking about all this. Thank you for having me here, and I'm glad we could hash it out. For sure. Where can people find more of your work online? Uh, as always at firstshowing.net and on Twitter slash X at first showing, muscle on letterbox at first showing, muscle on blue sky at first showing. Oh no, Alex B on blue sky. Sorry. <laughs> A new one. <laughs> Those are the places. All right. Uh, you can find me. Uh, everything I do over my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. I write for League of Entertainment and Why So Blue. You can find this podcast, everywhere you can find podcasts, but feel free to give us a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify. That'd be great for out now with our name. Um, yeah, let's see. Where are we right now? It is beginning of January, end of January, beginning of February. This should come out before our upcoming horror awards. We did our 2023 horror awards, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then Argyle is be the next full review episode that we do. So stay tuned for those shows. But once again, Alex, thank you for joining me. Thank the listeners for listening. And that's going to do it. So until next time, so long and goodbye. There comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying. Oh, when it's time. And a hand to life, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on pretending day by day that someone somewhere will soon make a change. We all a part of God's great big family and the truth. You know love is all we need